0: It's go time.
1: The OK Tire Labor Day weekend is over and road teams continue to dominate. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon along with Heath Graham and Pat Mooney. Three of the four contests played on Labor Day weekend, went to the road teams. Overall, 28 of 50 have gone to road teams. We talked about this in the last podcast. What is up with the home team and where is this home field advantage that everyone keeps pointing to?
2: When you look at a couple of the teams that lost this weekend, they are teams in turmoil, so it doesn't matter if they're a home team or a road team. Something isn't right in Hamilton right now. You see that with yet another loss the ninth loss of the season for the Hamilton Tiger Cats not really surprising that Toronto went in and took that game and the other one the rough riders versus the bombers the rough riders showed some flashes in the last couple of games but the bombers have had their number in recent years both home and away bombers have taken them five straight and this game was no
0: different they they just find a way to win consistently
1: Winnipeg is a team that when the pressure's on, they don't really make many mistakes. Now, you can point to the one game they lost against Montreal where they had two glittering mistakes at the end, but that's not all Mark Leggio's fault. Leggio missed two field goals, one in regulation, one in overtime. True. But there were other misplays by the Bombers in that game that could have negated those field goal attempts regardless, and they wouldn't have become of consequence. Winnipeg does, though, as we saw on the weekend, manage the fourth quarter well. They did not give up a turnover. Their opponents did on a very ill-advised dump pass over the middle where Frankie Hickson, the running back, literally turns around, sees the ball, barely gets his hand up, tips it up, and it's intercepted. That was a huge mistake by Cody Fajardo, the quarterback of the Riders. Again, the word mistake comes into this, and that's where the Bombers do well in the fourth quarter.
2: You're right, Don. It's the the calmness of the team as a whole. They don't panic. They know they're going to get their opportunities, and when they do, they take advantage. That interception was case in point. The Riders were driving down the field in field goal range to take the lead in this game. The Bombers didn't panic. They waited for it. There was a slight mistake, and the Bombers jumped on it, intercepted, and ended the the game.
0: On a mistake, you can say it's a mistake, but it it also was great pressure. You had Willie Jefferson coming in, and Fajardo was pushed to get rid of the ball early. He didn't throw it where it needed to be because of that pressure, and that's what the Bombers do. They find a way to make the plays when it matters, and, and this was no exception. Hickson reacted like a football player, put his hand up, made an attempt,
2: but all it did was get up in the air It was an easy pick. The other home team that lost this week, again, is a team that you could say is in a bit of turmoil. The Montreal Alouettes have gone through some adversity in the last couple of weeks, especially in the news with with Gary Stern stepping away in his role. And discipline issues continue for the Montreal Alouettes as well. As much as Danny Machocha came in to change that culture, that team is not where they should be. Now they've traded Vernon Adams Jr., There's a lot happening in Montreal. So again, the three home teams that lost this week, you can definitely see reasons for all three of those games.
1: All three that lost were at least tied at halftime. And yet, other than the Alouettes, I guess, they did nothing in the fourth quarter. And this is the question I think the coaching staffs of each team has to address. What is it about the final 15 that they are unable to to accomplish very much. The exception was the Edmonton Elks who actually pushed the Stampeders to the limit in the fourth quarter. But other than that, we didn't see much from the Rough Riders, the Tiger Cats, they, they both basically put up goose eggs. I mean, the riders got a single on a punt, but that's it. You can't win games unless you're scoring in the fourth quarter.
0: And in the Argo Hamilton game, Hamilton effectively folded. They were outscored 17 to nothing. I mean, you, you're in a game and then they disappear. And that's happened multiple times this year for Hamilton. For a while, we we're thinking it's Dane Evans and he just was letting go of the football. But once again, they, they, they were not in the game in the fourth quarter.
1: Well, actually they were until they brought in Jalen Morton. He came in. I, I still, to this moment, have no understanding as to why they did what they did. And he, but he just did nothing out there. Turnover on a third down gamble, which pretty easy was about foot to go. Yet he went sideways and got tripped up. What was the point of that transition? You can argue that Jamie Newman maybe wasn't putting up great numbers, but at least he was keeping the Tiger Cats in the game. And yet you you dip into this Tommy Condell magic box of let's bring another quarterback in.
2: And what does that say to Dane Evans, who was on the sidelines for this one and does not see any action where you've gone to this unproven third string quarterback now at this point in, a, in what should be a fairly close game. And it really was one of the main differences why the Argonauts pulled away. Evans was injured.
1: I, I kind of got the feeling that Orlando Steinauer and the coaching staff of the Tiger Cats kind of looked at this situation as though it was, we're just going to have to eat this one. If we get a win bonus, if the defense can score, they did. Maybe we've got a chance. The quarterbacking with a raw, basically a raw rookie in Newman and Morton, who'd been with the team for a year but had not really seen the field. That was a lot to ask. Unless you had a Ricky Ray type of epiphany where he comes out and does well very quickly, you're
0: asking for it. Multiple times throughout this year, we see Tommy Condell do that. He switches out the quarterback. Is that an attempt to allow them to see the game and potentially reestablish rhythm? But when you take them out for three or four series, in this case, it was four series, that's a little bit long in my opinion. I can see giving them one series, potentially two, but I don't think Newman was that bad in this game that he deserved to be out, particularly when Morton didn't show anything.
1: That's exactly my point. Has it worked with Evans and Schiltz? I don't know that it has, their record is kind of evidence that it hasn't. Their offensive production is evidence that it hasn't. You can't keep doing this. You either put your eggs in a basket and live with it, or you just keep scrambling all over the place and trying to make poached eggs out of that.
0: We saw in the Edmonton-Calgary game, you have a, the, the same situation where Jake Meyer is starting and not being as successful, yet Dickinson makes the decision to stay with him throughout the the course of the second half and it paid dividends. It also, I think, gives your quarterback some confidence knowing the coach is standing behind them in Hamilton. That's sorely lacking in all their quarterbacks.
2: In the post-game comments, Dave Dickinson did speak to that as well. He said, you know, the first half, Jake Mayer was struggling a little bit, but he doesn't want to have a quarterback on a short leash unless they are completely flat. He said if there is some spark there, he wants those quarterbacks to have the confidence that the coaching staff will give them that opportunity. And we saw the turnaround in the second half with Jake Mayer. He came out and led that team to victory. So a real differing philosophy to what's happening in Hamilton with with Condell and Orlando Steinauer. The other
1: part of that equation with respect to Dave Dickinson and the Stampeders, is that they would have done the same with their other quarterback that was on the bench, Bo Levi Mitchell. He had tons of games where maybe the start wasn't that great, but coach never, ever flinched. He, You're my man. You're going to be the, the guy going out in the third quarter, and Mitchell rewarded him for it. Now, Vernon Adams is in BC via trade. Just a quick stat for you. During his tenure in Montreal... From 2016, granted it was not continuous, until this year, he was 17-12 and 12 as a starting quarterback. That is the best, by far and away, the best, other than Jonathan Crompton, quarterbacking stat that the Alouettes have had since the retirement of Anthony Calvillo. The other thing that we have to remember, and this is something that was brought up very well, a hypothetical, would Bo Levi Mitchell ever be heading to Hamilton? And one of the comments coming back was why would Calgary give up a bona fide quarterback if Jake Mayer ever gets hurt? Then where are you at? And that's Tommy Stevens. And what do you what do you do with that situation? You do not want that situation. Calgary will never make that move, despite whatever offer it could be coming from the Tiger Cats. Montreal has now basically done that. You've got Trevor Harris and Dominic Davis. Dom Davis has not really played much other than short yardage. Do you consider him a bona fide starting quarterback if Harris went down?
2: He's got some experience, but it's not necessarily successful experience. So that's the caveat there is you want somebody that's not going to panic. I don't think Dom Davis is going to panic if he gets inserted into the lineup, but he doesn't quite have the pedigree and the proven record to be the guy to step in. I don't see Bo Levi Mitchell moving from Calgary at this point either. Blockbuster trades in the CFL are rare, and it would take something monumental at this point to pry him away from the Calgary Stampeders, and I just don't see anything else that Calgary needs at this point that would sway them to make a move.
0: I would agree with you during the season, but I do think after the season, if I'm bold Levi Mitchell, you're going to be taking a look or asking to move to a different team that's going to make you their bona fide starter. And there's many teams in the CFL that will certainly be interested in
1: him. I don't know that Mitchell will ask, partly because he was musing about retiring before this season even started. If the arm, specifically the shoulder, is not what it needs to be,
0: you may see him retire rather than request a trade. And I agree, his shoulder, we've talked about ad nauseum, that that he just does not appear to be the same quarterback. However, if he has a desire to play, I do think he will ask for that trade. If it is a physical thing, which we're speculating, then then yeah, I think he could be a TSN analyst, and I think he does an outstanding job when he's had the opportunity. I would love to see him on the panel or even in the booth, working as
1: a color commentator. He knows the game inside and out, and he's very articulate as well. That would be a great addition to the group that they have at TSN. More likely than not, Mitchell is a big picture guy. He's not going to just bounce around the league in his final couple of years. He's going to look at legacy, and he's going to say, I started a stampede or I finished as one. Don't be surprised if that's exactly how it plays out. And then he makes the move to broadcasting. Now, let's let's take some time to talk about something else. Timeouts. There is sort of a set of unwritten rules when it comes to using timeouts. And we saw at least two occasions on the weekend where coaches, in my books, did not use them correctly. Case one, Chris Jones with two timeouts, you only get to keep one in the final three, so you better use one before the three minute mark, declines to use it. Bit of a faux pas, but not huge. The bigger problem that I have is what Craig Dickinson did in the game against the Blue Bombers in the fourth quarter. In the final two minutes when the Blue Bombers are trying to get first downs and run out the clock, Dickinson, for whatever reason, calls a timeout on second down. Okay, certainly it stops the clock. But by doing so on second down, with only the one timeout that you have, if the Bombers get close enough or get the first down, you're out of timeouts and they still have the ball. Why he did that, I don't understand. The unwritten rule is you wait till third down. If they are third and two, three, four, you know they're punting, call the timeout then, save the time for your offense.
0: I agree with you, Don, on both calls. I mean, to me, Jones had an opportunity to use that timeout and and he should have used the timeout. Edmonton was in a tight game and and could use the time to talk and think about it. Dickinson, I don't know why he wouldn't wait until third down, but I also think Dickinson made a, a, a bad call earlier in the game when he chose to review a call for offensive pass interference, which clearly was offensive pass interference, thereby foregoing another potential timeout. Some terrible management, I think, on his part in the timeout situations.
1: You could blame that challenge a little bit on the person who's responsible for reviewing the play. Certainly maybe got some bad advice, but it was painfully obvious to those who were at the game, myself included,
2: that there were two hands extended In a close game like this as well, it was quite the move by Dickinson to challenge that call. You know timeouts are going to be important in this game. You need to use them wisely, and absolutely in both these cases, that was was poor management, and it ended up costing them in the end. I, I think he maybe panicked a little bit on that second down timeout. He felt he needed to do something and didn't quite think it through, but that is a mental mistake that a coach at this point in his career should not be making.
1: It's hurt him in so many ways. Obviously he lost the timeout. Soon after there was a no yards call that had the rough riders still had a challenge, would have easily got 15 yards from. missed that out, out. The other part of the equation for Dickinson was a bad day on the bench was the fact that one of his non-rostered players took a misconduct penalty, and that hurt the team on the field, took them out of field goal range. Cody Fajardo had a little bit of a tough time with math, saying we would have been second and three instead. said we were turned out to be second and 11. Well, it's not an eight-yard penalty, it's 10. But I'll give him a pass on that because you're in front of a lot of reporters and you're nervous. The Rough Riders did get pushed back and without converting on second down, were forced to punt on third, where had they got the game, they may have been able to move forward and at least get another field goal.
2: It has to be frustrating for the Rough Riders organization to have a, a player in street clothes getting flagged. The game itself did not get very chippy on the field. In in what we have seen in the past in these Labor Day games, often emotions run high. We had some ejections last year with an end zone fight. This one was was pretty clean in that regard, so what Duke Williams was thinking getting involved in the sideline, I will never fully understand. It was a, a terrible, terrible decision by him to get involved in that in that altercation. And absolutely, it was a momentum killer, a drive killer, and backed the Rough Riders up and, and killed their chance to get a, another score.
1: The Rough Riders have spent a lot of money on Dekeel Williams. And you're beginning to wonder if it was money well invested because he's had that incident prior to touchdown Atlantic when he got into it with one of the Argonauts, one of the biggest requirements of a player making that much money is that you have to be available to play. He's been injured many a time, not necessarily his fault, but again, with that kind of contract, you want that player to be available to you. Williams may not be a
0: rough rider in 2023. It's hard to put that much money on a player when you see Saskatchewan now getting Braden Lenius back and and has a strong core of Canadian receivers. I think you could go probably five deep. It might be the opportunity for them to start a Canadian there instead of an American. And we see Shaq Evans and Kyron Moore returning to the fold, and they're both outstanding receivers as well. Essentially, what the Rough Riders
1: showed on Sunday was the receiving core that they had prior to to De'Keele Williams coming to the team. down okay you tire labor day weekend started with friday night in montreal with the ottawa red blacks riding a one-game winning streak going into percival molson stadium to take on the alouettes the alouettes who are on a little bit of a two-game winning streak themselves ottawa comes out looks dominant from the word go Trevor Harris has a bad sequence where he fumbles a ball that's returned for a touchdown, gets an interception on the very next series, never gets out of that funk, and Ottawa prevails 38-24 to in front of an unfortunately small crowd of 15,000. Hard to know if the ownership situation played into
0: that or if something else was amiss. Hats off to Ottawa. This was just, a like you said, it they, they seem to dominate and uh, really seem to be coming on.
1: Nick Arbuckle, 20 of 31, 313 yards and a touchdown. Trevor Harris, and this is a beguiling set of stats, 22 of 29, 256, two touchdowns, but two interceptions.
2: Nick Arbuckle is fitting in well in that Ottawa Red Blacks offense, and he's got some chemistry going with a couple of receivers Jalen Acklin and Darvin Adams have had a couple of of big games in this winning streak for the Ottawa Red Blacks a two-game streak is something that they haven't seen often over the last few seasons so much to celebrate and really Red Blacks have a lot of games remaining against eastern opponents and they string together a couple of more and that playoff picture is getting a lot cloudier in the east
1: Let's give some credit to that Ottawa offensive line because a lot of question marks about that group as the season started. No sacks given up to the Alouettes. Four were picked up by the Ottawa Red Blacks defensive line against Trevor Harris. Very true. Ottawa, with their second straight win on the road, if they can find a way to get some mojo at home and win... Ottawa is totally in the picture. Now, a lot of people are making jokes about the fact that only one team in the East has a winning record, blah, 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 blah. I don't care. You have to defeat whomever you have to to get ahead in the division you're in. That's the whole point of having divisions. So if the East is down this year, fine. It happens in every league where a division goes down every once in a while, then they come back up. Ottawa now with that win, it's their third of the season they are getting into the mix. And I imagine there's one guy in the battle, Milt
0: Stiegel, who actually picked them to be in the Grey Cup, who's feeling a little bit better about himself right now. Here's an interesting stat about the Red Blacks. Since their inception in 2014, they're the only club who has a record that's better on the road than at home.
1: Which goes back to almost our original premise. What's wrong with home cooking? The, the Red Blacks especially, if you, if you look at, The attendees at a game. That's a young, excited, exuberant crowd. It's about time that they post a victory for them and uh, give them something to go home and and celebrate. Now, with this win, as we said, it avenges the loss they had to Montreal earlier in the season in Ottawa, but it also, as you pointed out, Nick Arbuckle is starting to feel comfortable in that offense and it it kind of harkens back to what would have been had 2020 been played. Where, where would Nick Arbuckle have gone? Would he have gone anywhere? Would he have gone to Toronto, Edmonton, or would he have just been in Ottawa the whole time?
2: That we'll never know. And again, if, if not for Jeremiah Mazzoli getting injured earlier in the season, where would the Red Blacks be in the standings? I have to believe that they would have more than three wins at this point had Mazzoli stayed healthy.
1: Sunday. Game two of the four games set in Regina, sold out Mosaic Stadium, 33,000 plus. Huge blue contingent in the stands. And they go away happy. The Blue Bombers winning 20-18 to 18 over the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Rough Riders going out to a 14-0 lead, scoring a touchdown on their first drive, the first time they've done it all season. And yet... By halftime, they were tied 17-17.
2: The Riders did get off to a great start. Not only did they score a touchdown on their first drive, but they backed that up with a couple of field goals as well. So they were marching the field quite well, had some trouble after that first drive of punching it into the end zone, but uh, a solid start for the Riders. Again, as we mentioned earlier, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers... Don't panic in those situations and battled back. Zach Kolaris had a nice long pass to Nick Dembski for one of the touchdowns. He threw the deep ball better than he has, I think, all season. He didn't seem to underthrow any of those long bombs. That has been a bit of his weakness. And he was solid, not flashy, 214 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. 15
1: of 24, Cody Fajardo on the other side, 23 of 32, 292 yards, but that critical interception late in the fourth quarter. The Rough Riders put up 390 yards of offense
0: and come away with 18 points. Winnipeg defense just seemed to be able to stop them when they needed to. Uh, In the second half, it was a defensive battle with both teams, but in the first half, Saskatchewan had the opportunity to put more points up, but Winnipeg would close the door and just not allow that second down conversion where they had to kick field goals.
1: Rough riders also tripped themselves up with penalties, 11, they picked up in this football game. These penalties, and we saw it in this game, turned out to be critical. Dekeel Williams' misconduct penalty, Cody Fajardo with time count violations just seemed to mount and mount and mount these mental mistakes.
2: The Rough Riders pride themselves on the fans being loud and disrupting the opposition's offense. So it was very interesting to see Cody Fajardo take two time count violations in this game. I guess he just was struggling with the silence. To see the Saskatchewan's lack
0: of discipline, which has been a hallmark of the Craig Dickinson era since he's been head coach, they just have not been able to stop making dumb mistakes. The one that I found critical was after... Mark Leggio sidestepped a potential block punt. The Saskatchewan Roughriders proceed to take three penalties in three successive plays, backing them up, and and the last one was on the kick, taking a no yards penalty and putting Winnipeg in prime scoring position. It was just to me, it's untenable, and
2: something needs to be done. I think one note that we have to make here, as you mentioned, Pat, Mark Leggio did a great job avoiding a punt block, and if you've got a kicker under the microscope like Mark Leggio has been this season. To make a 55-yarder in the Labor Day Classic at Mosaic Field is a huge, huge kick for Mark Leggio, and I think it does wonders for his confidence moving forward.
1: Leggio makes a 55-yarder. Brett Lowther for the Rough Riders misses a 57-yarder. Again, there was more to this game than a made kick and a missed kick. Clearly, discipline is something that the Blue Bombers have in spades. The Rough Riders still need to crack the book on that and find out how to employ it.
2: Well, one step maybe moving in that direction is just before we started recording tonight, it was announced that the Riders have released defensive lineman Garrett Marino.
1: Marino famously sat out a four-game suspension for his hit on Jeremiah Mazzoli. you,
2: You have to start weighing what value he brings. One sack and nine defensive tackles. Excellent
0: point. And this is one where I hope the league actually steps forward and says, we don't really want Marino in our league. He's he's a presence that is too disrupting and, and good on the riders. I
2: think it just came a little bit too late. Multiple fines, multiple ejections, multiple suspensions. And even at the end of this game, there was a questionable hit on Zach Caleros. The consensus is it was probably legal, but a dirty play. He could have avoided the contact. He didn't. He kind of blindsided Caleros. So you've got all of this already building up in his reputation and he's going to be under the microscope. And I guess at this point, the Rough Riders have said enough is enough. We don't want to deal with this anymore and have cut him loose. Moving to Monday,
1: the first game of the doubleheader. The Argonauts were in Hamilton at Tim Hortons to take on the Tiger Cats, a full house there to watch Toronto get out to an early lead and then really ramp it up in the fourth quarter. And a next Tiger Cat, Brandon Banks, scores two touchdowns against his former team. He was stellar, and the Argonauts looked great defeating the Tiger Cats. McLeod Bethel-Thompson, 22 of 34, 298, two touchdowns, two interceptions. The two quarterbacks for Hamilton combined for 16 completions on 31 attempts, and 184 yards and two interceptions.
2: And a shout out to McLeod Bethel-Thompson for throwing a key block in Brandon Banks' rushing touchdown as well. He got in there and and got in the face of two Tiger-Cat defenders to help lead the way for that scoring play.
0: I thought it was great to see Brandon Banks be utilised in the game a little bit more than he has up to that point and to be successful in a place where he has had such great success uh, I know he's the opposition, but I think the Hamilton fans certainly appreciate the type of player he is and to see him be successful, I think they have to be happy for him too. Toronto put up
1: 371 yards of offense to Hamilton's 267. I thought Jamie Newman, when he came back into the game in the fourth quarter, seemed to have settled down. The Tiger Cats chose not to play Dane Evans because of injury. He was there in emergency situation as the third string quarterback, we talked about it initially that, and I'm still of the belief that Jalen Morton need not have stepped on the field that day. Let Newman figure it out. Chances are it's going to be Newman for the next set of games that is going to be the backup to Evans if he comes back to play. If he doesn't, then it's going to be
2: Jamie Newman's team. 14 for 25 for 171 yards is not terrible. It's not fantastic. But with the struggles that the Tiger Cats have had so far this season, he wasn't really detrimental and and causing much harm out there. So I agree with you. I I think the decision to put Jalen Morton in for a couple of series didn't make a lot of sense. He ended up only two of six, and one of those incompletions was an interception. So that's a, a pretty tough stat line for for Jalen Morton, and Jamie Newman deserved the chance to stay in that game.
0: I found it interesting to watch Newman in the fact that he certainly has all the physical attributes to play quarterback in this league. He has an extremely strong arm. He was only able to complete one pass of 20 yards or more, and uh, you know they, they were limiting what he did on offense. So I think as he has more time on the field, he's going to have a better understanding of the game, and hopefully they can open up the playbook for him a bit more.
1: With the win, Toronto goes to 6-5, and five, gets some breathing room atop the East Division. Once again, Hamilton in the fourth quarter, disappear, don't score a point, give up 17. Final game of the weekend, move to McMahon Stadium and the Calgary Stampeders and the Edmonton Elks, over 30,000 watching that game. It's always a huge game between the two Alberta rivals and Calgary, despite Coming out very slow in the first half. Pull off a 26 to 18 win. Full marks to the Elks for hanging in. Taylor Cornelius went twenty-two of thirty-three, two fifty-seven, two touchdowns. Jake Mayer, the starting quarterback for Calgary, eighteen of twenty-six, two thirty-eight, two touchdowns, and an interception.
2: Pretty similar stat lines for these two quarterbacks. Taylor Cornelius is looking promising again as a quarterback in this league. He's a big, physical, and fast quarterback. If he gets some better pieces around him and a more consistent offense, he can do some damage. I I like what he brings to the table. He, right from the start, has seemed to be quite poised and doesn't panic in the pocket. He has the ability to escape when he needs to. I know there was some weight being pushed towards Trey Ford as the starting quarterback for the Elks. Unfortunately, he went down with injury. We'll have to see what the future brings when both of these guys are healthy, but certainly Cornelius isn't playing himself out of a job.
1: The one thing that we can't lose sight of is that David Beard, who had been the center with the Elks for several years, an all-star center, was not there. And quite a few of the snaps that came back to Cornelius were low, outside, It really forced him to look down, find the football, and then look up and then try to find his receivers.
2: An interesting decision by Chris Jones to trade an all-star center for another offensive lineman. I have to think that this is a bit of a salary move as much as anything, so we'll have to see what Chris Jones has in mind for further roster moves, but certainly a tough situation for any quarterback when you lose a center of that caliber that you are very comfortable with.
1: Edmonton had the lion's share of possession. 35 minutes, Calgary just about 25. It wasn't a game of turnovers. It wasn't a game of penalties. It was Jake Mayer settling down in that third quarter, starting to find his receivers, and Reggie Bagleton making some supreme catches, one in the end zone, that really helped the Stampeders. Calgary with the win moves a win ahead of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and now sit a game back of the BC Lions.
2: Other than the Winnipeg Blue Bombers who have now clinched a playoff spot, things are going to get pretty interesting for the West, those those three teams chasing the playoffs. I think the Elks at this point are too far behind to make a push for a playoff spot. They can certainly be a bit of a spoiler because they've got some key games coming up against these other opponents.
1: Labor Day weekend is over. We're now down the stretch to determine who's going to be in the Canadian Football League playoff race starting Friday with the Lions in Montreal to take on the Alouettes. British Columbia probably starting Michael O'Connor at quarterback. Vernon Adams Jr. is now there for insurance. The Lions are installed at three point five. Favorites, not sure how I want to go with this one. If O'Connor, especially on the road, settles down early, I think the Lions are good for it.
2: Not a lot of respect for the home team in this one. I know BC has the far better record. However, that was with Nathan Rourke at quarterback. Michael O'Connor was not successful and unfortunately got injured in his first start. That being said, I think there are enough weapons with the BC Lions and the struggles continue for the Montreal Alouettes. Trevor Harris did not look very sharp in that loss to the Ottawa Red-Black, so I would lean BC's way in this one and will probably cover a a three-and-a-half point spread.
1: Throughout the Wally Buono era, the Lions did
0: very well in Montreal. The Lions' defense has been fairly solid and I think Montreal just has not seemed to be able to do anything on the road so like you two I have to go with BC and I do think they'll cover the spread as well
1: it's the Lions defense that I think will be the difference in this football game they are second to Winnipeg in some categories and lead in other categories in terms of defensive statistics that I believe puts them in great stead Trevor Harris to me is the consummate sine wave in terms of consistency. He's either way up or way down. We saw against Hamilton, he was on the up. And we saw last week against Ottawa, he was on the down. Even though the numbers look good, he wasn't doing enough of anything to put his team on his shoulders and carry them. I will follow your lead and I will take BC and the cover. Saturday, we've got a triple header, and it all begins in Ottawa. The Red Blacks, who are winless at home, trying to break that against the Toronto Argonauts. The Argonauts are installed as 3.5 favorites in this football game. Toronto coming in, of course, after a big pair of wins over the Hamilton Tiger Cats.
2: In my upset of the week, the Ottawa Red Blacks are going to get their first home win. They are going to shock the Eastern Division, turn things upside down, start moving on towards the playoffs with a three-game win streak and defeat the Toronto Argonauts.
0: That would be a shock. All the others have come on the road, and uh, in this case, I don't think Ottawa will win at home. I think Toronto's got enough weapons that they're going to take it to Ottawa, and I do think they're going to cover. I wonder how emotionally
1: bereft Toronto is after a couple of big wins against Hamilton, having played them four of the last five weeks, winning three of the four. This could be an opportunity for Ottawa. And don't forget Nick Arbuckle, quarterback in the Red Blacks, not so long ago he was a Toronto Argonaut. He may have a little bit of an axe to grind over how he was let go so quickly and traded away to Edmonton. Ottawa, I'm leaning towards this upset. I will Take them to win this game outright. Second game of the Saturday afternoon brings the Saskatchewan Rough Riders into Winnipeg to face the Blue Bombers in the Banjo Bowl, which is the rematch game between these two clubs. Winnipeg 8.5 favorites. This is an early line. I'm sure as the week goes on, it's probably going to get bigger. The Blue Bombers, if there's one axiom about this game, the Riders win close with a big fourth quarter, or the Blue Bombers destroy the Rough Riders outright.
0: I think it's actually going to be closer than a destroy game. I think Winnipeg will take this game but I think Saskatchewan showed that they can play with them. It's going to be much harder to do so in Winnipeg in that stadium with the noise that will be happening but I think this will be one where Saskatchewan is either, as you say, they're they're going to fold or they're going to step up and I think they've they've stepped up when they've been down before. I think Winnipeg will win but I don't think they're going to cover the spread.
2: I'm going to disagree with you on this one, Pat. I believe Winnipeg does cover the spread. This is a team that has something to prove at home. They have eked out some close games here and there throughout the season. They have had a couple of of bigger wins, and this is a statement game for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They come out firing on all cylinders. That offense gets rolling, and this is going to be a long, long day for Cody Fajardo. The Bombers win this one and cover the spread.
1: I agree with you, Heath, completely. It is a statement game for the Blue Bombers, and let's not forget that that crowd is going to be amped up. It's a sold-out crowd in Winnipeg. It's going to be amped up, and the Rough Riders are just not used to being the villains when it comes to that type of crowd noise. Winnipeg is going to probably clock the Rough Riders and cover. The final game, the late matchup, the Calgary Stampeders rematch in Edmonton. Typically this is high school night or school kid night for the Elks. There should be a bigger crowd just because of that alone, let alone the fact that it's the Stampeders in town. This is the last of four meetings between the clubs. The Stampeders have won the first three this season. Last time they were in Edmonton, Bo Levi Mitchell led the team to a 45-6 win and It's part of that after a huge thunderstorm. Calgary is 9.5 favorites. They did not show well last week. We know Jake Mayer is going to be the starting quarterback in Edmonton. Again, maybe away from the home crowd, calms down, comes out stronger at the start, and maybe Calgary does cover.
0: I think Jake Mayer will have a stronger game, but I do think Edmonton has improved as the season's gone on. This one, I'm going to stay with the favorites, but I I think that they won't beat the spread in this one. So I'm taking Calgary not to beat the
2: spread. Calgary didn't cover at home last week. The spread is about the same this time around, a little bit less. I, I think the Elks lose the game, but they beat the spread. Let's consider this,
1: at home, the Elks have not covered a spread yet. The Elks haven't won at home in over a thousand days and that's playing on their mind. We don't know what the crowd will be like in Edmonton. Will it be supportive, hostile to their own team because of what's been happening on the field, especially in the loss column, especially at home. There is a mounting sense of frustration we thought two weeks ago that when Ottawa was there, that this was Edmonton's golden opportunity, having just beaten the Red Blacks in Ottawa, that they could sweep them. And they
2: did not look very good. A couple of things I would say that would give a little bit of an edge to Edmonton, if a team with their record can have an edge, is that it's very difficult to beat a team back to back. We've seen that in the past with a lot of teams. It's even more difficult, I think, to sweep a season against a team, especially when you're playing them four times. We saw Toronto take three of four from the Hamilton Tiger Cats in their four games this season, but that's a pretty tall ask. And I don't know if Edmonton has enough, but I think they're going to keep it close.
1: Depending on what happens in Montreal, Calgary could either, with a win, tie the Lions or need a win to stay pace with the Lions. Calgary's got a lot to play for. This is a huge game if they want to get a home playoff date. That's why I'll take Calgary, maybe not the spread that's given, but the Stampeders to prevail. So we're all in agreement
0: on this one. That's rare.
1: Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.
0: Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.